0: If you've gone through my Bible study, Grace, and watched the videos, you'll know that I quote Christy McClelland. I so deeply respect her and the work that she does, and she has written a Bible study that is dear to my heart called Jesus and Women. So it might not surprise you that I did a little happy dance when Christy agreed to be a guest on today's podcast. If you have ever struggled to understand the Bible, if you felt intimidated by it, or felt like it's something you just can't understand. Christy is extending a beautiful invitation to the way we approach God's Word. I know you're gonna love her as much as I do. Hi friend, you're listening to Find Hope Here. I'm your host, Teresa Whiting. Author, speaker, ministry leader, friend, and fellow struggler. This is a podcast about the messy, complicated, painful parts of life, but also the beautiful, joy-filled hope that Jesus promises. Each week, we dig deep into God's word together and talk about how his truth impacts our everyday lives. I'm not gonna ask you to sit with me and have coffee because I seem to have my best conversations while I'm just doing life. So I'd love to hang out with you as you walk or fold laundry or drive to work you're invited to join me in pursuing the hope God promises. No matter where you are or where you've been, I pray you always find hope here. Let's jump in to today's episode. I am so excited to introduce Christy McClelland to you today. Um, Christy is a professor at Williamson College and the best-selling author of Rediscovering Israel, as well as Jesus and Women and the Gospel on the Ground Bible Studies. Christy teaches the Bible in its historical, cultural, geographic, and linguistic contexts. After studying in Egypt and Israel in 2007, Christy began leading biblical study trips to Israel in 2008. Christy's trips, as well as her in person and online courses and resources, including her popular Pearls podcast, position Westerners to discover the Bible within the framework in which it was written. And Christy, it's so exciting to have you on the podcast. I just wanna welcome you, and maybe you can tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do and some fun facts.
1: Uh, Well, good morning, Teresa. Thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, Maybe some fun facts, I'm a golf lover. I would play golf every day of my life. Uh, I'm actually playing later today, so late, late afternoon. Um, So I'm looking forward to that. I have a little dog named Chester. He's named after G.K. Chesterton, uh, one of my favorite theologians. And he's my little ride or die, you know, I'll tell everybody he's a Christian. So he's like in the ministry with me. I've read the Bible and the Chronicles of Narnia to him. So he's ready to go. But yeah, I'm a lover of community. I'm a lover of scripture. I'm a lover of travel. I think pilgrims, uh, we're our own form of poets. those of us that go to Israel and spend time there and come back, we come back with an experience um, and a language um, of being in the Bible in the very incarnational spaces where these stories happen. So I'm a pilgrim um, and a little bit of a pilgrim poet. I would say that so much of how I experience the Bible now, and I would say we're meant to experience the Bible, not just read it. Um, we're looking to experience someone in it. Um, so yeah, so mischief is in my spirit and just love being with people. Table fellowship is really important to me. I think eating together is really sacred. It's sacred activity.
0: I love Um, that. You know, yeah, that's um, a little bit more about me. One of the things that you're kind of leading right into a question. I was going to ask you about your trips to Israel. Tell us a little bit about how that's going, what it's like. What do people do on your trips? Um, My husband was actually going to lead a trip to Israel this month. We were supposed to go. And then because of what's going on over there, the trip was canceled and it was going to be my first time. But I know you've been there repeatedly. And just what you were saying about it, tell us a little bit about the trips that you lead.
1: Uh, So when I had the chance to go study in Egypt and Israel in 2007, and I went in a spirit of professional development, I was already a professor at Williamson College. I was on staff at my local church teaching Bible. So I had one foot in church ministry, one foot in academic ministry, teaching Bible in both spaces, and I'd never been to Israel. And so I thought it would be a great next step for me, an enhancement um, in my own biblical understanding, which feeds into biblical teaching. And I just tell people all the time, I went to Israel and learned that the living God is better than I ever knew. Mm. And I had no idea it was going to change the trajectory of my entire life. Um, So I've been taking teams to Israel since 2008, and they're biblical study trips. So we're usually in the land for 12 days and going from the north to the south and sitting in the very places and studying these biblical passages where they happen. So you're experiencing it in all of your senses. You're seeing and smelling and tasting and hearing and perceiving And, you know, I tell my students all the time that the Bible is the best and truest story that's ever been told. And just like I could read a book about you, even see a picture on the back of you, but that's different than being with you, hearing your voice, hearing your laugh, seeing your facial expressions, feeling your body. I feel like that's what studying the Bible in Israel has done for me. It's Mm -hmm. moving it from just something I'm reading to someone I'm experiencing. I got to know Jesus in his first century Jewish world when I was there. And so it's sort of like your spouses or your friends, if you've ever gone home with them, I'm talking to their home where they grew up. Right. And got to know them in their place of origin. It just gives you immediate insight into who they are and why they are the way they are and what they care about and what has shaped and formed them. And so to get to know Jesus and to get to know the Bible, it's been so helpful and beneficial to get to know the written word and living word in their origin and in their places where they came to be.
0: Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, um, when I was going through Jesus and Women, um, I was just actually going through it again over to prepare for the podcast. And I saw somewhere in there, you talked about when you take a trip that you go to the, the spot where the woman at the well encountered Jesus. And when I read that, I I burst into tears. I was like, I want to go there. I want to be, I want to like see that spot where that encounter happened, because that has made such an impact on my life. I can't even imagine what it would be like to to be in that spot and read that story and, you know, experience it the way you're describing. It sounds, it sounds amazing. Um, tell us about that study. That's one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you today was because I love that study, um, Jesus and Women. I am really passionate about sharing stories of women in scripture because I think they're so relatable. The women in our lives, the women in our world are just like those women that were in scripture with, you know, same emotions, same experiences, different culture. But, um, tell us why did you write that study and who it's for and kind of give us an overview of it, if you would. Yeah. So Jesus
1: and women for me, it it really was an adventure that found me, um, in a, in a deep time of transition for me, I had served on staff at a church for 17 years and was also teaching at the college and i just felt the lord leading me on this adventure to resign from the church and to really step out into the unknown and i am more captain safety i am like a b c i'm a planner i'm an organizer i'm a you know i'm up at 5 a.m. every morning just a very scheduled disciplined life and so the idea of stepping out into nothing felt very scary and irresponsible To me, Mm. I was always raised, you don't leave a job without having a job. And so when I took that leap back in 2016, I was still teaching at the college, but I went to essentially, I had a lot of extra time on my hands after resigning that time at the church. And it was a dark time of just transition and um, my faith just really growing and being something more textured, just taking God by the hand in a season of just seeming insecurity and what does all this mean? And you've not shown me what the next things are Mm -hmm. yet. What are we doing here? Kind of a wilderness experience. And I was walking Chester one day and just talking to God about all of these things. And this idea just came to me. It felt like an idea outside of me. And it was almost like a passing thought, but it was just, you've got extra time on your hands right now. And you're not doing well, so you need something to kind of give yourself to, to bite down on. Um and I just had the thought, why don't you just write a study on Jesus and women out of the wow. things you learned in Israel? And so the real truth of it is, and I love telling this story because I think it is part of who the living God is and what He's like. But I really wrote it just for me. I didn't have any intentions of teaching it or publishing it or anything. It was just meant to be, me leaning into these biblical stories in a moment and season when I needed it for myself. So it took about six months to write it from June to December of 2016. And then I thought, well, it would be kind of cool to just share this. So I taught it at the college and just invited women around the city. And before we knew it, we had about 2000 women who had been through it. And then Lifeway came along and said, Hey, would you like to do this? And it's a wild story. It's wild the things that God will do with the smallest things, the the things you do in the dark, the things and the the deep seasons of um, uncertainty when you don't even feel like you know what you're doing, you know? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So she has a very gritty beginning um, <laughs> and it's beautiful now just to see her all over the world. It yep. is wild. I, I think about, I so remember that walk with my dog
0: when that thought came to me. That's so, that's so beautiful. Um, you said you you know it kind of was birthed in a wilderness season yeah. and
1: it's so. to me
0: it's amazing what god does in those seasons you know we we think we're out there doing nothing and he's doing this deep work in us um and then you also said i wrote it for me and i think that that is also something god always uses he takes our our dark places he shines his light and then and then allows us to share it and so i know that there's probably millions of women in the world that are so thankful that God did that in you and through you and um and and on that walk, you know, that you were able to hear him say that. That's so beautiful. Um speaking of that study, I know you talk a lot about Jesus and his ministry with women. How talk a little bit about how his ministry was countercultural because I know that women were not respected in biblical times. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I would would start in a general framework and then specify it to women because Jesus really did it airware with everybody, not just with women. But, you know, within the system of Judaism, clean and unclean was very important Um, And to be a holy rabbi of Israel. You are clean Um, and clean doesn't touch unclean because when clean touches unclean, clean becomes unclean. And one of the most revolutionary parts of the identity and mission and ministry of Jesus is he is incarnated into this world, um, God veiling himself in flesh and coming. And he who is more than clean, holy, was never afraid to touch unclean. Because for him, when he touches unclean, unclean becomes clean. And so we see Jesus being proximate. That is a word that I would use. This transcendent God became eminent, came down, broke into human history and space and started eating with tax collectors and sinners, started calling tax collectors and zealots and fishermen um, to follow him. And so then when we come to women. Jesus seems particularly oriented in some ways to finding those who are on the margins and centralizing them. He is pulling them to the center. He is focusing on them. And we see this ministry of Mishpat and Zedekiah of justice and righteousness that Jesus was bringing into the life of every woman that he interacted with that we have on record throughout the four Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And biblical justice, it's a lifting. So often in our Western sense of justice, we think judgment or handing out rulings, but biblical justice, it's, it's most often framed as restorative justice. Something has been lost and is getting found. Something has been broken and is being restored. Something mm-hmm. has been made crooked and is being made straight. And so when we look at this ministry, of justice and righteousness of Jesus in the lives of women, he's restoring this Garden of Eden type of understanding of the feminine. And so he's not creating something new. He's going back. He agrees with his father, Genesis 1 and 2, when all things were said in shalom and everything and everyone worked and flowed in harmony as they were meant to. So it's this deeply lifting work and ministry that Jesus is doing with women. And it's deeply restorative. It's not him turning them into something brand new. It's almost Jesus giving women back to themselves Mm. in the way of the original design of Eden. And so I love that he's the proximate one. He's the one who will eat with you. He is the one who Sees you in the honesty of your story and condition and reaches for you to bring lost things to found, crooked things to straight, broken things to restoration. So, this is who he is and this is what he's like. And Jesus and women is just sort of one focus of that ministry, but he did it all over the place. So, even when you ask me, you know, who is Jesus and women for, I would say that all scripture is for everybody all the time. Um, I don't think of the Bible as this is for women or this is for men. Yes. Every word is for everyone. And so we've had a lot of men go through Jesus and women, and being a college professor, and so many of the settings that I teach, they're co ed. Um, it's more rare for me to teach in all female spaces. Um, Because the word of God, it is living and active for everyone. and has something to say to everyone. So Jesus and women, along with anything else that I ever do, um, whoever publishes it, whatever it looks like in the packaging, the way that it comes out, it's a gift that I'm trying to give to everyone.
0: I love that. That is, that is beautiful. Um, One of the things you said that Jesus was reaching out to those that were on the margins, or yeah. you know, the the marginalized, the the outcasts, the ones that the world was not interested in, whether they be male or female. That that he was always kind of reaching toward those, and I I love that about Jesus. I think he's still doing that, you know, today and yes. in, right. in our lives. But one of the things that that I hear from women. Is that they feel like the Bible is misogynistic? It's it's anti women. Mm-hmm. So I know that the Bible isn't anti women, but maybe you could explain first of all why is that such a popular belief and why is it inaccurate? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a popular belief because the Bible is
1: telling the story of the world as it is. You know, Eden was lost in Genesis three. The world fell into shadow. We call it the fall. And so, and it's also the beginning of patriarchy. When things got broken, everything moved from sufficiency to scarcity. Things no longer just worked. The earth did not just produce food. And so now, in scarcity, I mean, I always ask people how much toilet paper did you hoard at the beginning of COVID? You know, our impulse is to take care of ourselves hours and hours. And then, man, you're left on your own. And that's scarcity. It's the way of the world. It's not the way of God. And so in scarcity, we start fighting each other for resources. And in the world as we know it, men are physically stronger than women. And so now we have this rise and might makes right. If you can take it, take it. If you're strong enough to keep it, keep it. And so the Bible isn't afraid to tell that story of brokenness, of Eden lost, and the story of the living God working from Genesis 3 on to
0: restore. Yes, He's making
1: all things new. And so when we read things in the Bible— That are very difficult to read. It's not that the Bible is endorsing it. The Bible is telling the true story. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, Sauron with the big creepy eye, he's the bad guy. You know, there's a bad guy in stories, and the Bible doesn't shy away from that. So it's not endorsing misogyny and patriarchy. It's just telling that story and honesty and how God is making all things new. And so for me, The Bible becomes just that central plumb line and rule for both men and women to remember and reimagine once again that the original plan is that we're made in the Imago day. Adam and Eve, the Bible says, co-ruled Eden together, side by side. And this harmony, this beautiful diversity and unity that comes in male-female relationships. And I'm not even just talking marriage. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul uses this Greek word, Adelphoi, it's my brothers and sisters, over and over again. I tell people all the time, my favorite setting to teach is a co-ed setting, because anytime you bring the genders together, there's a textured richness that we have. So what if the Bible isn't endorsing misogyny? What if it's just telling the honest story and giving us a map and a blueprint and a hope? of the fact that God sees and is restoring. Again, lost things are being found. Broken things are getting restored. Crooked things are being made straightened.
0: Yes, that is that is such a, a great way for us to understand that that it's not endorsing. It's reporting the truth of how the world is since Genesis 3. Hey friends, I'm just popping in here with a little reminder, and then we'll get right back to the episode. Two weeks ago, when we talked about intentional living, I offered to you a workshop that I created that's coming up, if you're listening in real time, it's coming up Saturday, February 17th from nine to three, or you can choose Thursday, February 22nd from nine to three. I know it's February already, but if this year caught you by surprise, and you feel like you want to use the next 328 days that we have left in 2024 in a way that's fruitful and satisfying, instead of just flying by the seat of your pants, I wanna invite you to join me for one of these workshops. You will have time to invest some effort, some thought into what your year is going to look like. It's a six-hour workshop, and it comes with a 30-page downloadable guide that I created to help you reflect on the past, assess the present, discern your next steps, and plan how you will get there. It's not too late to sign up, and I'll put a link in the show notes. The workshop will take place over Zoom, so you can come from wherever you are, and I would invite a friend and do it together. I hope to see you there. One of the things that you say in your study is that God's word is a feast and we come to it expecting to be fed by our father. And I just love that image. I think that's such a beautiful way for us to posture ourselves when we come to God's word. Can you talk a little bit more about that idea, about the fact that I think when you start every video, you're like, okay, let's, we're going to begin the feast now. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I think that it's anchored in just a couple of things. I mean, it's something I learned from the Jewish people, but Psalm 19, the scriptures are like honey and Ezekiel two and three, an angel gives Ezekiel a scroll, the word of the Lord and told him to eat it. And Ezekiel says that he ate it and it tasted unto him like honey. Mm. And then we have Jeremiah and Jeremiah 15 talking about when your words came, O Lord, I ate them. They were my joy and my delight. And so, again, I think it's sort of inviting us. There's a deep invitation for us to shift from this idea of the Bible as something to be read versus the truest story ever told by God as our father. And I mean, think about how you read to your own children or your own grandchildren. There's an intimacy in that. There's time spent together in that. And that's often how I think of the Bible is that this is God as our father telling us the story again and again and again, because the world has its own narratives. And so when we're experiencing God through it, it is more like a feast. It's something to be taken in. Where is the word of the Lord? It's meant to travel inside of us. And so just like sitting down for a great meal and a great meal is best experience with other people. I think the scriptures are like this table set, this feast for us to take it in together as a community and to figure out how we're going to verb it, how we're going to embody it. Who is the living God? What is he like? And I often joke with people, you know, how many of you would say the best meal you could eat is when you didn't have to cook. Yeah. (laughs) When we think about this posture, we don't come to the Bible as orphans. We don't come to the Bible in a spirit of scarcity, like we have to dig something out to feed ourselves. No, we can come to the scriptures in faith, in hope, open, tethered to the living God, posturing to receive the things that through the Holy Spirit, he's wanting to reveal to us and show to us. And so, you know, whenever I hear men or women say, you know, Christy, the Bible is intimidating for me. You know, my response is always think about you reading to your three-year-old. And when you have that book with your three-year-old, you don't want them feeling intimidated by it. You want to experience that story with them. Mm -hmm. Velveteen rabbit, whatever we're talking about, but it's a way of connection. Right. And so I think that intimidation starts to breed into new invitation, new buoyancy and hopefulness. When it's like, wait a minute, when I open my Bible, God is actually present with me. The Holy Spirit is actually breathing, living and active, moving in my life, helping to put something inside of me that maybe I couldn't put inside of myself. And so it's more of a receiving than a getting. It's more of a taking in than a reaching and i think posture is important you know words are important you know the things that we say to each other in this life the things that the living god chose to put in the bible i mean he who is infinite this is the story he chose to tell yes this is yes. the one he gave us
0: i love that you said that it's not something we have to go and dig something out of you know god is eager he's longing to feed this to us and and even the idea I have never heard that before of like, imagine yourself reading to your child or your grandchild, that intimacy, that sweetness. One of the things I read in your study is that you say we often stare at our lives and glance at God, but it's so much better for us to do the opposite. So what does it look like? Like, can you give us some practical hands on what does it look like for us to stare at God and glance at our lives? Because We're busy and we're self-consumed and we think about ourselves all day long, but that doesn't serve us well. That's not how we're meant to live. So what does it look like to stare at God and glance at our lives?
1: Well, I mean, I like to dig into this concept because honestly, we live in a culture that prizes busyness. I think in all honesty, we are more busy than we need to be because it sounds good to say we're busy. Uh, Sabbath is a command. It's not a suggestion. And so I think that as we try to order our lives according to that story, the story of the Bible, if we begin with the question, what does this teach me about me? It's going to lead straight to application, which we're going to get there, but I don't think we're meant to start there. I think a, a better question And it's more of a Jewish framework. Is when you read the Bible, what does this teach us about who God is? And the first question takes us in and down. The second question causes us to look up and out. It's a much more visionary, buoyant way of approaching. And as we get to know the living God, we're getting to know who we are. And yes, we get to application because biblical faith is a verb, it's less what you believe and it's more how you embody. The way of Jesus in your life. So we're not skipping application. It's just we don't start there. And so we won't ever be more motivated to be like Jesus than staring at Jesus mm. and being reminded of who he is and what he's like or the living God from Genesis to Revelation, who you are and what you're like, what it's going yes. to mean to walk with you. And I think in that, we need to drop some of the busyness. I think saying no is really holy work. Um, And being really intentional. And I get it. There are seasons that are really busy. There are seasons for me that are really busy. But I also know and understand if rest is part of the spiritual economy of things, then we need to be seeking ways to rest, to give ourselves to that space, even boredom, you know, new innovation and creativity comes out of boredom. You know, sitting and staring at your wall is not a bad thing. You know, taking an aimless walk under nothing is not a bad thing. Sitting in your backyard, staring at the leaves on your trees is not a bad thing. These this is rest is subversive to the way of empire.
0: Yes, you Um, are speaking my
1: language right now. (laughs) Well, the pharaohs and the Caesars never gave you a day off. Those aren't economies. Empire has no economy of rest or Sabbath. Mm. So we're being subversive to the way of the world. When we, as followers of Jesus, live Sabbath lives. Yes. When we do get it, that rest
0: is part of the kingdom economy of things. I I I am just loving every word you're saying, and it resonates with me so much because I feel that that hunger to be living. A Sabbath filled life, and I'm and I'm not good at it. I'm super excited though because um, my favorite favorite book on Sabbath is called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. I don't know if you've read that, but um, he's actually going to be on the podcast to talk about that. And it it is something that I'm always trying to figure out. How do I live that way a little bit more? um, Right now, I'm actually my son and I are doing a 40 day flip phone challenge. And we put our iPhones, we, we got rid of them for 40 days. And our goal is to, to see like, can we actually live without these? That's right. And it has been so eye opening to me, just like the parts of my brain being creative, like being bored, like I can't reach for my phone and look for something because there's that's nothing right. there. So. That's right.
1: That's right. Well, and the idea of a digital fast, like that's what I hear in you, you know, In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus said, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast, not if. So we see these three practices. And I I do think biblical fasting is oriented around food, abstaining something to gain something else. Mm. But I think the general spirit of fasting, I'm not sure that there's not a more important fast for us to take as a modern people than that kind of a digital fast. That you're talking about. Um, learning why we reach for our phones the way that we do. You know, I try to talk to my college students about that. What is going on inside of you when you reach for your phone? What is the ache? What is the longing? What is the insecurity? What is the boredom or the inability to just sit with yourself in silence? Yes. So I love that you and your son are doing that and keep talking about your experience there. Because digital fast are incredibly powerful in our modern world.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. You know, it's doing things in me that I didn't even realize. It, you know, when I started it, I'm like, oh, I wasn't expecting this, but good things. But anyway, that's for another that's for another time. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about is just your passion for helping people understand the Bible within the historical, cultural, geographic, linguistic context. And I know you just wrote a new book about this that was uh, published, I think, in October of 2023. Um, And it's called Rediscovering Israel. And I would love for you to tell us more about that resource. You know, that whole project has been wild because when I came back from Israel
1: at the end of 2007, I wrote a course. And for years and years, I just, it was 12 sessions. I just called it the Israel course. And it's the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and its historical cultural context. And I have been teaching that class for years years and years and years and years and years here in the city. We have it available as an online course where it's audio. You can listen to it with the charts and everything. And then Harvest House Publishers came along and said, Christy, this is such a valuable resource. We want to publish it as a book with you. And so that's how the whole idea got birthed. So it's the story of the Bible. It's exactly what we've been talking about from Genesis to Revelation. I think there's about 77 of my most favorite photos from all of my time Mm. in Israel. Um, So it just felt like a very meaningful work. And what I didn't see coming necessarily was that book released on October 3rd of last year, four days before October 7th, when everything happened in Israel. Oh, wow. And wow. I was actually sitting at the Newark, New Jersey airport on October 7th, waiting to board my flight to go to Israel. I was oh, going to wow. be there, two teams back to back. I was going to spend five weeks in the land that I love more than anything. And I was sitting in the airport when my phone lit up. And it was my airline. And I just started crying because they never cancel flights to Tel Aviv ever. Um, And it was that notification saying, you know, we regret to inform you that we've canceled your flight due to unrest in the region. And I just started crying because before I even really knew or understood, I knew something horrific was happening. Mm -hmm. And so now post-October 7th, this book, the timing of its release, literally four days before. Um, I'm so connected to the meaning of that and just what the Lord is doing in a moment right now when I can't take teams to Israel, what I have done is brought Israel here to you. And so hopefully this is what this resource will be for people. And we're getting such great feedback. Small groups are doing it. Church groups are doing it. Community groups are doing it. Individuals are reading it. And so to be that bridge for so many years, taking people from here to Israel, to now feel like I can bring Israel here, particularly in a time of lament and grief right now when I can't be there, um, it feels very meaningful to me. I I don't feel like I'm stuck in nothingness. Um, I wish I was in the land right now. I would get on a plane right now and go. Israel is not a scary place to me. It's a beautiful place to me. Um, so there's a lot that's in it, but I'm so glad it's out. And, you know, if you're out there and you're listening, if you want a better understanding of the Bible in its own world, we're so happy to let you know that rediscovering Israel is there for you.
0: I, I love that. I cannot wait to get a copy. Um, I'm planning to write another Bible study. And in my studies, I always do a creative retelling of the story. And so I feel like what better resource to get a grasp on. The context of where those stories took place. And so I feel like I need to learn so much. And I feel like that resource is, is just going to be invaluable to me. So I highly recommend it. I will be ordering a copy. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to order a copy. And I'll also put in a link for Jesus and Women. And as we're talking about books here, besides your amazing books, Christy, what other Books would you recommend? Are there, you know, just two or three books that are your favorites? And they don't have to be, you know, Bible study books. They can be any kind of book at all. Yeah. So uh, a few things. I'll always like to start with Bibles, because there's a
1: few Bibles out there that all of the commentary is sort of through that Middle Eastern lens and that historical cultural context. I grew up on the NIV, so that's my version. Um, I like it, but the NIV first century study Bible. The NIV Cultural Backgrounds Study Bible, the NIV Archaeological Study Bible. Uh, these are three that I use all of the time. Mm. So again, just starting with those. Um, but two people that I often recommend, Dr. Kenneth Bailey. Um, he was an American who taught Bible in Lebanon, Syria, Israel, and Egypt for 40 years. So he's that American like we are, Western like we are, yet gave his life to teaching and understanding the Bible in its Near Eastern or Middle Eastern world. He passed away a few years ago, but anything by him, uh, just to get you going, for those interested, he wrote a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and it is incredible. Um, scholar, but very readable, not intimidating, and then I love to support other women. So there's a woman, and I'll spell it for you because her last name's a little bit difficult. But it's Lois Tverberg. It's T V E R B E R G. Lois Tverberg. She's written three books that I know of that I have in my library on my shelf. She's also an American who moved to Israel to study, and it has been writing from that place. Um, but her books are great resources, um, for just continuing that journey of understanding the Bible in its own world. I
0: appreciate those. I will put links to those in the show notes as well. Um, what are, what are other ways that the listeners can connect with you, Christy? Yeah, the
1: best way is just to go to my website, christymcclellan.com. You can subscribe for free there. It just adds you to our email list because we send out notifications for new Israel trips when registration opens up new Bible studies or books that we're publishing, different projects that we're working on. We hosted the first two nights of Hanukkah this past December. One of my Jewish friends from Chicago came down. And so we invited, we had people from 25 states fly in for it. It was an absolutely incredible, amazing time. And so that's probably the easiest way. I'm on Instagram at Christy McClellan. I'm on X at McClellan Christy, just to like switch it around (laughs) a little bit. But we love to just be able to to give these things and to make them available for people. There's a lot of people interested in going to Israel and they always wonder, who am I going to go with or what does that look like? And I tell people, man, just get there. If you have a heart to go to Israel, just get there. But I would certainly be honored to be one of those people considered to be that bridge between here and there for you. Again, pilgrim poets, we write and speak of our experience. You can never unsee what you're going to see when you go to the Holy land.
0: It just, it makes me want to go right now. I'm like, I want to, I want to make it happen. If God Um, would give me,
1: if God would grant me a superpower, it would be to be able to teleport. I want to be able to blink my eyes and wake up in Jerusalem. I would go every day. I
0: wouldn't be surprised if you end up living there someday.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't either. I wouldn't be
0: surprised either. Well, as we close out, I just want to say how much I appreciate you being on the podcast and and the work that you've done and that you are doing, um, I just think it's helping open people's eyes, open their hearts to knowing God, knowing who he is, seeing him more clearly. And that is, I, I can't think of anything better that a person can do with their lives. But in closing, most of my listeners are women. And I would love for you to speak directly to the woman who. Struggles to connect with God's word. Like you said, maybe she's intimidated by it. Maybe she's like, I I don't know where to start. I don't understand it. You know, Mm -hmm. what would you say to that person who has a desire to be in God's word, but doesn't know where to start and feels like, so they don't, so they don't do anything? That's a great question.
1: The things that come to my mind when I hear you ask that is number one, the living God wants you to know the story more than you want to know the story. You have a good father who is with you when you open up the story. Again, the Bible, the spirit of God is there to help, to aid, um, so that the peace of Christ can rule in your heart. Um, The Bible is not calculus. It's not physics. It's not a problem to be solved. It's not even a matter of the intellect. That's not what you're even trying to bring to the moment. It's can you come to the Bible open? That's the word. Can you calm yourself and open yourself? Mm. Ask the living God to meet with you in it. Um, I've been professionally teaching the Bible since I was 19. There are things in the Bible I do not understand. I'm probably never going to understand. There's times I'll read the Bible and get absolutely nothing out of it that I can discern. But just like the compound interest of money. We keep making deposits so that it will grow over time. Make that time deposit in getting in the word of God. You don't know what the Lord is doing with it. He is putting deposits into you that you are altogether unaware of. In the same way, a three-year-old has no idea their parent is paying the mortgage, right? Like Uh like you have water because your parents paid the water bill. It's that same thing. When we come to the Bible, we can come like a three-year-old wide open God is paying the mortgage God is providing the water so much is going on that you have no idea about can you just come to the moment yes can you just come to the table can you just come and open up your Bible and be open no child climbs in bed at night with the parent getting ready to read that book and they're wringing their hands they're nervous am I going to understand this what if I don't understand this That's not the posture. That's not how we're meant to take in story. And I would contend it's certainly not the way we're meant to take in the best and truest story that's ever been told,
0: the story given to us in the Bible. Thank you so much. That's a great note to end on. So I just appreciate you being here, Christy.
1: Thank you, Teresa. And thank you for these tables that you're setting, both with your podcast and with the Bible studies that you're writing. Just sister to sister and woman to woman, let me just say, keep going. You know, keep giving those contributions that the Lord keeps putting in your spirit, those ideas that keep coming to you along the way. Um, All along, ever since the Garden of Eden, the women, we've been meant to make our contributions and impact in this world. So I appreciate you. Thank you for inviting me to be on. Hope you have a great day. And for everybody
0: out there listening, shalom. What a blessing Christy was. If you haven't done her study yet, Jesus and Women, I highly recommend it. And of course, Rediscovering Israel is going to be on my must read list. I wanted to remind you one more time to sign up for the Intentional Living Workshop. It is going to give you a handle on this year, I promise. If it's something that you're interested in but you can't make those dates, you can still sign up because I'm gonna record the videos on Zoom and you'll be able to get those links once it's over. If you'd like, you could also just purchase the workbook but I highly recommend coming to the workshop where we'll go through it together. Thanks for hanging out with me today on Find Hope Here. To find anything I mentioned on the episode, go to teresawightingcom listen to find all the show notes. I'd like to leave you with this prayer from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.